Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Levon Dermangian, USA Water Polo's National Referee Manager, as well as James Graham, the owner of Water Polo Analytics Group. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on another episode of Off the Deck. I have the uh, pleasure of having two guests today. Um, one is James Graham, the uh, head men's and women's water polo coach at the University of Pacific, and our head USA water polo referee, Levon Dermengian. Thank you, both of you, for joining us. This is kind of a brainchild uh, first of James uh, when he was on the, on the show last time. Uh, we had talked a little bit about the advantage rule, how that was applied to water polo games as a whole, how it was defined. And there's a lot of question marks surrounding that specific topic. And so we decided to uh, get together and see if we could make sense of it, define it, sort of talk through it and see where that led us. So, uh, LaVon, why don't you start off first? Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do for USA Water Polo uh, and go from there. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Uh, It's a pleasure to be on with you um, and James. so uh, I'm the national referee manager for USA Water Polo. Um, I uh, started officiating uh, at the age of 17, so it's going on 20 years now. Um, I officiate uh, the age group, high school, as well as NC2A. Um, previously, I was uh, associated with uh, the Southern Aquatics Federation uh, Water Polo uh, Association for Referees. Uh, was the instructional chairman there, uh, moved on to the head referee position with USA Water Polo for the CCA zone, and then uh, now into this position. So, cool. yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for being here. And James, why don't you give the audience a, a recap sort of of your background and uh, where you are? Yeah, um, excited to be on here. It's going to be a fun conversation. Um like you said, I'm the head men's and women's water polo coach at UOP. I've been there for 13 years. Prior to that, um, I worked at Santa Rosa Junior College for five years. I've been coaching for a while, but uh, I also come at it from a different background, which is I started Water Polo Analytics Group, which is a statistical company. And we've been we've run data for USA Water Polo for a number of years, along with publishing a number of academic journals and things like that. So um, kind of coming at this from couple different perspectives, both as a coach and just kind of, uh, someone who studies the game. Yeah. Is it fair to say that for this particular, uh, discussion that you are sort of viewing this or you're coming at it from a non-coaching perspective, as opposed to, you know, your, you said your analytics background. Yeah. Um, definitely not here to represent UOP water polo. Uh, or like coaches per se in general, but definitely more kind of an analytical uh, look at the advantage rule and trying to understand it uh, in, a, in a more in-depth way. Yeah. Cool. Well, why don't we go ahead and and start with LaVon and, and why don't you, for the audience, if you could simply define what the advantage rule is and... Um, 
we can kind of go into what the points of emphasis are in the advantage rule. But why don't we first start off with what the definition is? Yeah, the definition uh, for for FINA and USA Water Polo, it's rule seven, the famous 7.3, um, which states that the referees shall have discretion to award or not to award any ordinary exclusion or penalty foul, depending on whether the, the decision would advantage the attacking team. They shall officiate in favor of the attacking team by awarding a foul or refraining from awarding a foul. If, in their opinion, awarding a foul would be to to uh, would be an advantage to the offending player's team, the referee shall uh, apply this principle to the fullest extent. That's also the same definition for NC2A. Just you know, reference for your viewers as well. Okay, so can you put it put that? definition in Levon like in Levon's words <laughs> yeah well you know what we what we instruct the referees um is that the the definition of advantage basically if you can get down to it is the goal is to score a natural goal the ultimate advantage is to allow the player to showcase their talents and to score a natural goal that's the intent of the rule so um, as long as the player has the ability to absorb a foul or to we have the ability to ignore a foul because they are still maintaining the ability to complete an action or to continue the action to get a natural goal uh, that is the intent um, and so. so does that also is that applying I think most people are thinking you're talking center but that is applied to the to the perimeter as well. So if I can make a center pass without drawing a foul, you're going to let that happen because I sort Absolutely. of have it, you know, we have an advantage in center, so you're going to let that pass happen and perhaps there's a goal or something out of that. Is that accurate? Absolutely. So center, perimeter, uh, transition, it's all the same. Um, if you are able to absorb a foul and to and to carry the natural or continue the natural flow of the game without the referee interjecting, uh, that is the, uh, I think that is the intent. Okay, cool. And so, uh, James, if I could ask a question. Yeah. What, from your perspective, what is the advantage rule? So, you know, is that me, too broad? I, no. <laughs> uh, so two things. One, I kind of give you an example of what I think uh, analogy of the advantage rule. Uh, it's like it's like in football. Football has kind of a their own version of the advantage rule if we really think about it. Uh, when the defense jumps off sides and the referee throws a flag and the play continues on, they're essentially applying a, an advantage type rule situation. They're allowing the offense to play through a foul. And then at the end of that play, this is where the two situations kind of diverge. The end of that play, the offense then gets a choice to take the result of that play or the penalty and the kick, the head coach gets to make that decision in water pool. We don't have that part. We have the referee make that decision for the coach live time in the split and, and at the you know, speed of the game without the understanding of what the result of the play would be. So to me, I have a slight differing opinion from an academic standpoint on the advantage rule with Levon. Uh, to me, if you're looking at the advantage rule, the goal isn't for the natural goal. It's what's best for the offense because the natural goal isn't in there. Of course, we as a sport would like to see natural goals and that's 
highly valued thing. But what's really in the way the rule is written is what is most advantageous for the offense. And that really comes down to what gives them the best chance to score, I believe. Do you think that that is, is wrong? I'm, I'm kind of interested in, you know, do you think the advantage rule is about allowing the offense the best probability of scoring? Is that, is that directed to me, James? Sure. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, I think in, in the natural flow of the game, um, the, as a referee, from a referee's perspective, the um, <laughs> having to try to calculate whether a, um, in a particular situation, if an exclusion would be in the best interest or have the higher percentage of a player scoring as opposed to allowing the play to continue. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a tall order. That would be very difficult <laughs> split, trying to um, decide in a split second of uh, what would be the best interest of the offense. I will say that even though this is the particular rule that the rule that I read, um, of course, there's inter interpretations, there's additional information. I don't know if you or Steve are, is aware that there is a uh, what's known as a guide or a manual, a FINA guide, a manual that um, goes into greater detail about what the uh, advantage rule is and what the expectation is. And in that, in that uh, explanation, it does reference that um, the, the referee shall allow the action to continue if it can continue. So as long as the player is progressing towards the goal and is in control of the ball and has that ability to finish the action, uh, the referee must continue applying that advantage to the player. Um, so I, I think I, I understand where you're coming from in that, in the sense of what is the likelihood or what is the best chance for the player to score? It could be a penalty shot, right? It, it could be an exclusion. Um, but I just don't think that referees have that luxury in a bang bang while the game is going on to make that determination. You know, it was interesting, James, that you bring up the football, you know, example, because obviously in football, there's a lot of start and stop. Um, there's set plays. And you also have a number of referees. I mean, I think you have five referees or five officials in an NFL game. I could be wrong on that, but it's more than two. Um, it, it almost seems like the advantage rule is something, just from the brief definition, it almost seems like it's something that is so impossible to call that it's almost a disservice to put a referee in that situation to have to determine that in some ways. Levon, do you, do you see that or do you? Uh, I, absolutely. I, I, I agree. I think um, uh, it would make the job of the referee that much more difficult, I think. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I'm, but I'm saying like if it wasn't there, if that if that rule wasn't there, do you think it would make it? easier to call the game so you're saying if we just completely uh, get rid of okay i thought you were referring no, I'm to what no i'm saying like let's just because the reason that football officials are able to you know make that call is because there's a starting point and a stopping point to each play there's not a lot of free-flowing in, in football right except for right. after the play is done but in water polo it's all free flow a lot like basketball so um it are we putting referees in a position 
to be questioned over and over and over again because of the advantage rule? Um, I, I, I don't, I think the advantage rule, um, uh, I don't think, I think, um, it is difficult to apply the advantage rule to the fullest extent. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I just, I think it's just a natural, it's a, it's an aspect of officiating that we've gotten used to that I don't think would either heighten the questioning or no, I, I think, I think it's fine. You think, okay. You think it has to stay in yeah. place. James, I, I, I think that it, um, well, I think that if the advantage rule were not there and we were to eliminate the advantage rule first, I think, uh, you're right. Like we're putting the referees in a very difficult spot. They're trying to decide what's to the best advantage of the offense, because as much as what Levon talked about is in the FINA, um, ways to apply it, it's not how the rule is written. The rule just simply doesn't mention natural goals whatsoever. You know, um, it just talks about refereeing and advantage of the offense, and that's it. You know, if it were to be in the rule, then it probably should be in the rule. So we're putting water pole referees in a difficult situation, like Levon said, to have to make that split second decision on what the best probability is for the offense. And so that's that's a very challenging thing. I think the number of yellow cards would go down drastically in a season speaking, especially for myself. Um, <laughs> if the advantage rule wasn't there, because uh, I mean, how many yellow cards get, uh, get issued every year for coaches yelling, Hey, mm-hmm. well, what is, Hey, Hey is, uh, are you going to make a call right now? Or are you applying the advantage rule? And that's really when those haze are coming out. Yeah. Coaches see a foul occurring. And for some reason, the referee is not currently calling that foul, which most likely they're applying the advantage rule at this moment, but we are unaware if they are or are not applying it. And there's that point of contention. And so you're not only putting the referee in a tough spot because they're having to make a second decision about probabilities, but in addition to that, they're putting yourself in confrontation with the coaches because we can't understand why a rule is not being applied at that moment. To me, right. the advantage rule injects all of the gray in a black and white sport. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think the flip side to that is, uh, James, is that, yeah, you do see the or you do hear the hay. Right. But I think and on the flip side of that argument is then uh, a lot of times what you'll see is the the player that continue the action. They'll get a great shot off and it's scored and they go, oh, OK, sorry, uh, the goal scored <laughs> or they um, or they accept the fact that a shot was made and a, a decent shot was attempted and. Um, it was not scored, right? So I think there's a there's a, a opposite side to that too. I think for our sport, not having an advantage rule and essentially being like basketball, um, I don't think that you'll have the flow of the game um, that you would have, right? I think, uh, like Steve mentioned, um, football you have many pauses, you have uh, you have free throws in basketball, so you have stoppages in play. And if if we go to a uh, just a, just call the rules the way it is and just no regard for advantage, I think you're you're just going to have many many stops. You won't have flow to the game. Um, so I just I just I, I'm not I'm not really in favor of that. <laughs> but, uh, James, so one what, of the things I I'm, I'm interested in is I I don't think that we have the same definition of advantage. Okay. Um, What's me, your I mean, definition define, of advantage, James? 
you know, it's just like, if you just look up advantage, it would be a condition or circumstance that puts one in a favorable or superior position, right? And so if I'm on offense and this is supposed to be ref for the offense, I want the referee to make a decision that puts me in the favorable or superior position, right? So if we have two things, say opportunity to let center shoot or to call an exclusion, I want the better of the two situations. And that's known. That's a known quantity. You know, six on five is better than center shooting. So James, you don't think the natural, um, the shot out of center would be in your best interest? No, I know okay. it's not. Okay. Why, why, why do you say that? Because statistically we will score better on six on five and everyone will. There's nothing in the front court that can happen besides like a complete defensive breakdown where someone is just on, on a jailbreak that the offense would not be improved by the six on five power play compared to allowing the natural okay. drive center, post up perimeter shooting, direct shots. None of those things are more efficient than six on five. So what happens then? Like the ball goes into two meters instant foul, instant, instant kick out. Well, it, not an instant one. I mean, they have to foul them, right? Still have to break a rule. If they don't foul, there's no call. You know, it's just like if there was, if there's a foul, then it should be called because it's to the advantage of the offense. That would be truly officiating in the favor of the offense. Now what will happen is, okay, because everyone is motivated by uh, survival. Okay. When those calls get hap happen, Coaches were going to want to survive, which means when they will adapt and people will not be fouling on the same level because they have to, or they lose their jobs. Okay. So in the beginning, you'll see a lot more exclusions, but those will go down once the coaches are then incentivized not to have that happen. And that incentive incentive will be the win loss records. So when those things go in, you'll see players play different defense because they know the call will be made if they're break, if they're actually fouling, which I know, I mean, I'm, I assume that most conversations I have with most referees and coaches alike, all would like to see athleticism be showcased, let, you know, decrease the physicality and the advantage rule does not do that. It increases physicality. It says physicality is the way, you know, Levon's talking about right now. Physicality is okay. If we still think, the offense can score a natural goal, even though they're getting put in an adverse situation and their shooting percentages are being decreased by heavy defense that is not legal. We are going to allow it. But what is that incentivizing? Yeah. It's incentivizing physicality. Yeah, you make you make a good point. Oh, sorry. Steve, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Please jump in there. No, you make a good point. I think um, you know there's of course there's a difference between um, what. Uh, our perspectives are, and I think just coming from um, a FINA slash USA water polo interpretation of the advantage rule, the center position of getting a natural shot off at the center position is regarded as a as a more advantageous position than a six on five. I think, uh, like one example, for example, I can give is that um, we, you know, the a shot at a center is such a big advantage 
that they actually put in a pause before you can pass the ball into the center if you're going to call an exclusion away from the ball, right? So I think uh, they, FINA says, you know, you can't give a quick pass inside to the two-meter player because it's such a huge advantage. Now, I get it when you have a defender who is now, like you mentioned, there's contact and there's uh, physical play that their percentages can go down. Um, but I think for the interest in the game, I think um, for the spectators, for the interest of the game, the natural flowing of the game, they would rather see a natural goal as opposed to fouls being called. So I do you think, LaVon, real quick, James, what do you think, LaVon, that if um, if the advantage rule was taken away, that the amount of stopping, the amount of exclusions would be more than there are now? I, I 100% believe that. I think this is a contact sport. I think even though you, if we can, if we make this into a basketball type game where every foul is a foul, regardless of where it is, uh, that doesn't mean people are going to stop fouling. It's a physical game. People want to play water polo. They want to steal the ball, right? There's always going to be attempts to give me this ball because I want to go and score this, this goal. Um, so there's going to be physicality. I, I don't think you can take that out of the game, even if you took um, advantage rule out. So, I think, uh, so in my mind, there's no doubt there's going to be more fouls called. There's going to be more stoppages and, frankly, maybe even more uh, simulation to get it right. Because now if um, if every foul is being called, uh, then maybe that incentivizes the offense to simulate that they're being fouled. So um, I, I do see many, many downsides to that. When you say stoppages, are you talking exclusions? Are you talking penalties are you talking both is that what well, you yeah, mean by stoppage every, right because every time the whistle blows like you at you know there's some kind of stoppage in place so every time referee is blowing the whistle and interjecting themselves um there is a stop to the flow of the game the natural progression of the game right and i think that's uh that would be bad for the game in the yeah. sport james yeah so <laughs> there are a variety of things in there <laughs> i love to unpack <laughs> Um, I agree uh, that uh, when you say that they regard this natural goal as the advantage, uh, regard I think is a good word for that because it's not actually an advantage. It's just there. It's just an opinion. It's not what is the most advantageous. I mean, based on the way the rule is written, it shouldn't be like an opinion or a regard or anything like that. It should really just be what is the most advantageous, or the rules should like. I'm not here to advocate like exactly what rule should be applied so much as like that's not what the rule says right you know that's not the definition people want it to be different than they should reward the rule um, so that people can clearly understand it um, as far as uh, I also agree that um, that there would be a number more exclusions uh, if the advantage rule went away for a short period of time because again coaches want to win it's not going to stay that way it, you know, people are going to adapt. Uh, it'll be a change for a short period of time, but everyone's going to adapt because everybody is going to do what's in their best interest to be successful and continuing to take tons of exclusions will not be in any team's best interest. And they'll find ways like, for instance, you know, I'm not here to represent UOP, but, uh, we had a number of years where we averaged about 5.1 exclusions against us per game through whole through seasons repeatedly okay that is significantly below the average 
Yeah. So if people want to not get excluded, which was something that we were focused on, there are ways to do that. That is not an impossible task. Um, and, uh, so do you, I think, sorry to interrupt, but do you see like, uh, you know, let's fast forward, let's say there's no advantage rule ball goes into center defenders hands, just go up literally and just say, okay, if you're going to score, try to score. So that's, that's the next thing is, you know, it's funny that they would like to, uh, emphasize scoring out of the center natural goals yet creating defense it's almost impossible to do it (laughs) right so by knowing that you're going to be get calls you are going to see people play a much cleaner style of center defense or you're going to have to have a much deeper roster yeah uh and with the number of people that are allowed to play per team now you can't really afford to have that many people out of a game by the end of the game so uh, you are going to see people allow centers to make moves as a byproduct of this. So you because don't think, it's James, you don't think the the defense will opt to not give up that goal and to take the chances on a six on five and just take out the player with a foul just in, to ensure that they won't score? Um, I think people will for a little while until they realize that that is not going to help them win. I mean... Yeah. I've mathematically proved that this is not correct. You know, I wrote an academic journal on it. Um, okay. It is better for six on five than like everyone who's still playing, take the exclusion instead of let the center shoot is, you know, playing baseball before money ball. Interesting. Can yeah, we, I, uh, I actually, without being a math guy at all, <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you. That was the approach that I took uh, in, in 2016, 2015, 2016, 2017, when I was at Olu and during that time with high school, um, high school is really center focused. There was a lot of really good centers in high school at the time. And whenever we played, uh, a team with a good center out, my mentality was, look, that guy's not going to score 10 goals. Like, there's just no way that guy's going to score 10 goals. I just don't believe it. Don't foul him. Whatever you do, just don't foul him. Let him shoot it. Make him shoot it. And, um, I mean, could have been coincidence. Obviously, we we were able to win that year. Uh, but we won because we weren't giving up a ton of fouls in, in center. That That's what it felt like. And we just said, look, we're going to. Now, high school, totally different than Division One collegiate water polo, totally different from FINA. I, I don't know what's going to happen if you don't foul Ryan Bailey. I mean, is he going to score 10 goals? I, I don't know. I mean, that that seems, you know, you get the center, yeah. starting center from, you know, Serbia. Is he going to score 10 goals? I, I, I don't know. I think that's where the debate starts really heating well, up. Well, I mean, we – we ran data for the national teams for five years straight, you know? And so I'm very aware of what center shooting percentages are and what their six on five conversion rates are. And yeah. this is another thing is that people are mistaking shooting percentage for conversion rate. And this is a typical, uh, you know, mistake that people think about, which is like, Oh, what are centers going to shoot? 
Well, when we are applying the advantage rule, there's no guarantee the center is going to get the shot off. They might like pick the ball up and lose it yeah. and it flops right in front of the goalie. They may, they may create an offensive at the last second. There, a whole bunch of things may happen as we're applying that advantage rule. There's no guarantee that that's going to end up in a shot or a goal. Right. And so when you're talking about shooting percentage compared to conversion rate, Think about six on five conversion rate compared to center conversion rate. And what, what I mean by that is- What is that? What are the, what are the numbers? You, if you have them in front of you, what's, a, what's the center conversion rate in terms of goals? And what is the, could you maybe like, give us one from, from the college level or something? Yeah, from the college level. I mean, I'm just going to ballpark it, right? Okay. Um, in six on five in college, you're looking at a conversion rate in the high 30s. Center conversion rate, you're looking in the mid twenties. Okay. Okay. That's, that's ballpark what it is. Now, obviously there are some skilled players and there's some better six on fives and so on and so forth. But this is, these aren't statistics in blowout games. These are statistics in all competitive games of teams at the same level, you know, so that the data doesn't get skewed. Yeah. Um, and, and then the same general concept internationally, the numbers aren't the same, but the proportions are the same. Okay, because, I mean, if you look at some of those teams on six on five uh, internationally, they're scoring in a much higher percentage than they are in NC2As on six on five. And, and then the conversion rates, the number of turnovers, offensive fouls, missed shots, goals that you're going to have at center compared to the number of turnovers, missed shots, offensive fouls, and goals on six on five, your shooting percentage on six on five is very, very close to your conversion rate because there's very few turnovers and offensive fouls on six on five. So almost all six on five is shooting percentage. Yeah. But center, there's a lot of things that happen at center that are not just shots. So your conversion rates much, much different. Hey James, a uh, question, uh, you know, and th there's no way I would even uh, dream of arguing the statistics with you. That's, that's number one. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the study that you did, let's say, um, you were saying the the six on five conversion is a much higher probability but you know is that taking into account where let's say if every foul is called as written so that means you are now let's say the option is either now i'm going to just show my hands and not foul and take the opportunity to see if they're going to score or six on five i just i can't imagine any coach in this world that would allow a goal or, or, you know, whatever, how many shots uh, of Ben Halleck taking shots in front of the cage at two meters, as opposed to then taking their chances on a six on five, because essentially if we're forced forcing the de defender to say, I'm not fouling at all, or else run the risk of me fouling out every single time, I think they're going to take that opportunity because they would not want to give up that shot from two meters. So um, one, uh, Two, two, two points, one amusing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have chosen not to take exclusion center since 2012. And we try to show our hands in every possible opportunity. Now my players are not always excellent at this, but that is what they're supposed to be doing. Gotcha. Uh, okay. The word is out. Um, <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless, you know, that's, that's the concept, right? And so mm. we have shooting data uh, on players uh, for teams that take exclusions at center and obviously our own, which we try not to. 
take okay. exclusions at center. And so we can compare those. Okay. And so when I first started this, uh, that was a question I asked, would the shooting square percentages change if we weren't, uh, you know, more or less hammering the centers. And then second, um, well, we did try that against Ben Halleck and we lost. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, it wasn't necessarily because of that concept was flawed. There were other issues we had besides that concept alone. So I'll just put that the jury is out on that one, but of course there are some centers or some players at certain levels, you know, everything's different for, you know, high school statistics can be different than college statistics compared to uh, internationals. But what I've found of all the statistics I've tracked is typically the proportions stay relatively the same, but the, the, the specific numbers change. You know, when you're, when, when you're talking statistics and, and maybe Levon, I don't know if you're on the same page with this, you know, it seems to me like it would be a little bit difficult to balance the stat- the statistics of the ball going into center. When do you start that advantage in that statistic? You know, because if you're talking, the guy's made a turn and he has, he's facing the goal and the ball's in his hand, that's going to be different than the ball lands in the water and my back's to the goal. Right. So, when do you start to say this is the advantage or this is not the advantage? I think that's where for me personally, I'm, I'm in agreement with what you're saying about the centers, you know, like I, I actually believe that there's not very many players that are going to score 10 goals out of center. There's just too much stuff going on, crashing. Like you said, ball slipping out of the guy's hand, goalie coming out. There's just so much happening, but I mean, you can't, I would be shocked if a guy in front of the goal facing the goal has a lower conversion rate than a six on five. So uh, if I could chime in on there, yeah, yeah. that's not six on five. That should be a penalty, right? And now you're comparing penalty, penalty conversion rates. Gotcha. And yes, penalties are going to be better than that guy shooting in that position. Gotcha. Okay. That's a good point. Um, so, so once he turns to the inside water and he goes in that spot, now we're out of the exclusion realm. And now we don't have to compare that 40% opportunity. Now we need to compare that to a 78% opportunity. Hmm. But uh, hey, James, in that same sense, okay, so let's say uh, we, we go back to now the emphasis or the thing is like, hey, we're not fouling at all. We're going to give up this shot. Um, so let's say the – so Halleck doesn't have an inside water position, but he is – he breaks away because he's able to now because yeah. the hands are showing and still takes a shot within two to three meters, even though there's another player in front of him. Uh, d- won't that increase his likelihood to score because he's not being draped upon, fouled? And there, you know, there's I excess think there contact. are still ways to contest shots without having to take exclusions. I mean, it's like, it's like in, it's like in basketball, um, you know, my assistant coach, uh, assistant coach or actually associate head coach, Joey Golickson just did a, um, his master's on shooting statistics and found, you know, that contested shots are a major difference, you know? And so if you're still able to follow Ben Halleck on his move and contest his shot without taking exclusion, you're still going to impact his shooting percentage. 
Okay, and then by impacting his shooting percentage, then that is also going to affect his conversion rate because that's part of conversion rate. Right. You know, and so while he's making those moves, we still have people coming at him. We still have opportunities to get to the ball. You know, right. it's still not a guarantee that he is going to get this shot off. And like I said, we we've been trying not to take exclusions for a long time. And if when we did that, we saw that shooting percentages were going up beyond six on five, we would have made a U-turn. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. No, yeah, just my point. My point, I think, overall would be is that I'd love to see, uh, let's say, a study that you do is that, let's say, you would take, I don't know, several centers and the um, and you just continually feed the ball into the center and allow them to shoot while the whole emphasis uh, is that you cannot foul by the defender. You have to show hands at all times. And if you show hands at all times, I would love to see what the conversion rate of that is as opposed to a six on five conversion rate. Um, and uh, yeah, just, you know, something. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's great. I think all those types of questions are awesome, you know, but like think about this. So bringing it back home to the advantage rule, right? Uh, I think you would agree that not many Senate defenders are doing that. Right. So you're talking about the lowest of those situations, not even the optimal right now, right? And so it would still be in the current state the way it is, you know, yeah. we would be in a better situation by having an exclusion. And there's also, you know, extra, there's also unintended consequences that benefit the offense too. If you're being in favor of the offense, because you're also talking about fouls against the defense and their ability to be in the game. And as they absorb take fouls in the game, the more fouls they have on a particular player, the less you're going to have to defend that particular player. So, yeah, no, it, this is, this is all fascinating stuff. And I think the one thing just to kind of bring it again, back to, I, I do think that even though um, let's say, for example, in your terms that the, the greater advantage would be a six on five. Uh, I, I still believe that uh, FINA especially um sees the natural action of the game so much more important than calling fouls. I think, I think it is clear from what I've heard and seen is that referees interjecting and calling fouls um, uh, is not something that people want to see. Um, and I, I don't think that they think that that is uh, for the betterment of the sport. So while again, I'm not going uh, to, I would not argue with statistics with you, that's yeah. for sure. But I do think that the intent is something completely I, yeah, I, I, I totally see that. And I think that that's where sometimes like, I don't know if the idea of like what we have and the rules and our goals for the sport um, are necessarily always aligned here in this situation, you know, because um, the advantage rule, okay, is in your situation talking about trying to improve the experience of the sport, the flow of the game, and the opportunity for centers to score natural goals. Yet, or if, you were to say, if you were to say, like, what is the most confusing thing for new spectators? The whistles. <laughs> Which, why? <laughs> what about the whistles? I mean, it's the whistle of who, why there's a kick out here or why there's a foul there. Um, the frequency of it. And, yeah, and, and not being able to define why that happened. Right. I, I think, I think a lot of it, like just what you said would be like, why there is a foul here. And then there wasn't one there that looked very similar to a novice spectator. Right. And I would say that was most likely caused by the advantage rule. Yeah. 
So let me let me ask you this. And I, so you know, from from a standpoint of like FINA and everyone wanting to make the sport exciting and understandable and popular, I think the advantage rule makes it very very complicated to understand. I mean, coaches don't understand it in the moment all the time. It's why we get yellow cards and we study the game all day long. Imagine the re regular fan. You know, this is this is complicating the game and putting the referee in to position to make very, very, very difficult choices. Yeah. In some ways I will agree with, with James. I mean, I, I agree with both of you in a lot of points, but one thing I think that James makes a really good point on, and I think this is just how you view it philosophically, like whether it's good or bad. So is, does the advantage rule cause more confusion? You know, I mean, like, you know, you're Levon, you're, you're mentioning, Hey, the flow of the game, which is, you know, which is important. But it almost seems like the flow of the game is restricted because of the advantage rule rather than not, you know, because I guess what I'm trying to say is, and this came up in the last podcast that James and I did, which was if a foul was a foul every single time, then everybody in terms of fans, you know, the spectators, family, everybody would know what was happening at every single call there wouldn't be as much of, well, that was, you know, you know, you see the referees holding their hand up, like, you know, he was holding the ball. And I know that rule has changed, but that was a thing for decades. You know, the guy was holding the ball, so I'm, I can't call a foul. Right. It, it, it um, seems as though if it wasn't there at all, there would be a clear definition of what each foul was, which would then in turn make it a different flow. It would be a flow that was different than what was happening now, <laughs> yeah. but it would still be uh, flow. I agree that I, I, it could make the game easier to understand for the uh, spectators, but I, I, on the flip side though, I think that, you know, you have the world's most popular sport, which is soccer that has, has an advantage rule as well. And they don't have, it doesn't seem like they have much trouble in people understanding and following that. And it's the world's most popular game. So I think the flow that you would have when you have now so many more whistles, I, I think is it wouldn't be comparable to what it is now. I, I, I think it would just, I don't think we would be able to have the athletes showcase their talents and their abilities and the speed of the game in which it's played. Wouldn't, we would not be able to have that same kind of uh, flow. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, better defining when um, when a referee makes a certain call or, you know, putting things in place so that the average spectator can understand better. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like one of the things that we use to train referees uh, when it comes to the advantage rule, um, one of the um, examples that we use is that we say that uh, the referee's job when it comes to the advantage rule is not to create offense for the offense. We basically... All we do is we restore what is lost by the offense, right? So if the offense loses the ability to control the ball, maintain the ball, or to get a passing, throwing motion off because of foul, we we restore that ability by awarding an ordinary foul. If they um, have, if they lose their posi uh, positional advantage, we restore that lost by ex giving an exclusion. And of course, if they lose a probable goal, we restore that with a uh, penalty foul. So 
uh, I think uh, putting things in place so that the average spectator would better understand the advantage rule would be better than not having it at all and just going by calling the calling every foul that you see kind of thing. And this, you so, know, in this so agenda, can I, can, I, can I jump in real quick? On yeah, something? go ahead. So with respect to soccer, I think it's a great point about so- soccer being you know, the most popular sport in the world and having an advantage rule. I did some research on soccer. So in soccer, they, they, they run their advantage rule differently. So in soccer, when the advantage, when an advantage happens, the referee is supposed to signal that there is an advantage by running down the field, waving their arms. Okay. And then if something doesn't happen in the next three seconds, they will then call the penalty. And so this is different than what we have. We have a situation in which we don't know advantages being applied. And if then we use the advantage rule, we don't go back and get the penalty that we earned before. We just get the missed shot or the missed right. opportunity. And so it kind of like, you know, um, you know, Adam online, Adam Corey online, he made this comment about what about like hockey, the delayed call, right? Which was a, this was a great idea about like, would people be interested in that? Well, that's very similar to kind of what soccer is doing. You know, they're saying that there's a call. Uh, it cuts down on the confusion of what's going on. It allows the fans to understand that, like, look, we all saw a foul. Why isn't it being called? Well, we see this referee running down the field with his arms waving. So we understand it was been recognized. Okay. Not that, like, why is that not being called? And this one was called. No, both have been recognized now. And if the situation doesn't present something for the offense then the call actually still gets made and so i think that those are two really big things that differentiate you know soccer and water polo right 100 percent. i think i i think you know in that particular case where you do have soccer officials when they sometimes go back and reward that advantage right sometimes they, they don't right the play has already gone on too long and they don't go back and um reward the the play i i would much rather have that scenario than just not having an advantage situation or an advantage rule at all that's what i was kind of coming to is that i don't think there's any need to remove the advantage rule completely when there is such a thing as an advantage rule in the most popular watch sport in the world it would be amazing to have a delayed call in you know like what james is saying a signal i mean we used to have flags and when they refereed back in the day to, to lift up the flag and say, look, I saw something, you know, but the guy's still working with the ball. He missed the shot. Okay. Free throw right there. Um, do you think that's even possible? Like, do you think that, do you think you'd have to like add another referee to do something like that? Uh, I don't think you have to add another referee. It, it's certainly possible, but uh, I just, I don't know of it. I do know that I was I was told years ago that the NC2A had discussed this rule and it was not um, it was not adopted for safety concerns. Uh, I don't know of um, FINA um, ever discussing this or trying to attempt it, um, but I, I do think that it's it's possible without having a um, another referee. Yeah, I think that. Um... You know, if uh, if there are safety concerns about it, because like you know, oh, okay, they see that a call is going to be made, so then they decide to escalate the situation. I feel like we have rules in the book, you know, for misconduct 
and whatnot that can be applied to that scenario. And again, that's not going to be a winning strategy overall. So that if like what went was an ordinate, like a, an exclusion, now the person decides to hammer them with no water pole intent. I mean, this has got to be on a minimum level, some kind of minor misconduct, yeah. if not all the way up to a red card. So, you know, I think that the safety concerns can be alleviated by just ref by the officials applying those scenarios and making sure the conduct is appropriate. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't, uh, you know, I can't speak on behalf of the N NC2A, but I think that um, to that point, I would say just, you know, just to play devil's advocate is that I think just if I were in, in the position of, um, of a rules committee member, um, I would think that, okay, so let's say we have those rules in place, but that doesn't still, that still wouldn't take away the fact that someone would try to then, you know, somehow take a heavier foul to ensure the player does not score because they see the referee's hand. And then, you know, and, and also it does little to, let's say if now an injury does occur, it's great that you have a rule to give a misconduct or brutality if necessary, but the injury is already there. Right. So uh, I think that just again, pl to play out yeah. the devil's advocate, cause I can't, I'm, I'm not going to speak well, for NC2A, but what, I think that's what they would be considering. Yeah. From my standpoint as a coach player, you know, if I'm at center defense and I'm trying to defend, okay, we've used Ben a number of times and he's yeah. making a move. I don't have enough time to look at the referee to see whether his hands up. <laughs> I got my hands full right now myself, yeah. you know? Right. So yeah. I have really got no clue whether uh, you're putting your hand up or not right now, because I am just hey. trying to survive this situation. Hey James, let me let me play a little bit more devil's advocate because okay, the one thing that just popped in my mind thinking that's a situation is okay. So let's say the defender doesn't have enough time to uh, take a look at the referee, but what if because we see this let's say on sprints right? We see the the trailer looking at the far side referee. They'll start yelling one 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 one, and then uh, once the far side referee's hand goes up that uh the sprint the whistle's coming, they yell two. So I, I was just thinking, like, could it be one of those situations where, let's say, someone in the pool that, uh, pool is looking and there's some kind of code to say, to signal that a call is coming? Yeah, I mean, that's possible. Uh, I think it would be difficult in, that, in right. that situation compared to, like, a, a rested state where you're on a lane line being ready to go and you're already anticipating this to being in the middle of a bunch of stuff and trying to hear this code. I mean, sure. I know how many times I have to repeat an instruction before a player actually does it live in a game. <laughs> so, um, so it would, it would take a number of, it would take quite a bit of communication, but also the other thing is, is when you try to foul very quickly as a player, it's really hard to, un to control your physicality, yeah. you know? And so that foul is going to look intense. And, you know, when you talk about like, okay, the, the player's already injured. Yeah. But you know, when players get excluded, you know, uh, for this enrolled from games on a regular basis, the strategy is going to go away. And I mean, unless someone gets hurt, you know, maybe on the first couple games out, but I mean, we can get hurt a million different ways in water pole. So unless that, unless that happens, the incentive, like, again, when the rules get put in, that's how everyone, all the coaches decide how to play. Yeah. Every time a rule change happens, we change our strategies as coaches. Right. So if this is the way the game is going to be called, our strategies are going to change and the way we teach our players is going to change. Sure. And, and I, I always liken it to like third graders on a schoolyard. You know, if they're going to go out and play a game on, on the schoolyard and they want to win, the first thing they have to know is what rules are we playing? What's the game? What's it called? What, are we, what rules are we playing? Right. You know, and then they develop a strategy from there. Yeah.
And for for the sake of time, I'm going to sort of, I want to ask one question here that was on this agenda. And then I'd like to get your, I want to ask both of you, I want to ask you two questions, really. The first one is about the new rules. Okay, so this is sort of, uh, and I know I'm shifting gears, but LaVon, I'll start with you. What are some of the challenges or what are some of the things that you like or dislike about the new rules that have come around from from FINA and all the way down? Uh, I am in favor of all of the new rules. Um, I think that uh, the the FINA TWPC really did a good job with with these new rules. They were tested. Uh, I, I believe it was in in, um, in 2018 is where it started at the youth championships, and then also 2019 as well. So it was it was tested. I think uh, I forget the exact number of throughout how many games. I, I believe it was in the high 200s. Uh, that's how many games it was tested in. Um, the feedback was great, um, and that's why uh, it, it passed. And and that's the reason why I like it because it was it was tried, it was proven to to. Um, to provide more scoring, less fouling. So in a general sense, I, I like all of them. I agree with all of them. Um, I think the most challenging of the rules is the, the penalty foul from behind within six meters. Um, you know, like, like James said, any kind of new rule, there's going to be some adjustments, right? The coaches, the players, referees are all adjusting. So what we're seeing currently right now or before we came – to this stoppage from this pandemic was that uh, we were seeing more um, penalties called um, than it, than the intent was. I, I think that a lot of times um, referees forgot that you know the the first and foremost is that the player needs to be given the opportunity to finish the action. Yeah. And if when they cannot finish the action, that's when the penalty comes. It's not an automatic. Uh, there's no such thing as automatics in water polo. So. Uh, that has been the most challenging, but, you know, through our referee schools and videos, we put out a, uh, a PowerPoint uh, presentation, a Google slide that we were, we sent out to all the coaches, referees and club administrators in December and January that had the video, you know, I think we had like maybe 15 videos or so in that, uh, in that slideshow um, that tried to explain this rule better. So uh, I think that is the most challenging, uh, even though it's the most challenging, I, I do like it. I think it makes it more black and white. Um, penalty wise because I think like James said you know the when 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 does the referee consider that an advantage right but here it's you kind of your ball whether the ball's in the hand or not you're kind of you're kind of forced to make the call unless the player finishes the action right so uh, yeah that's that's what I, and I will say that I think USA water polo did a really good job communicating the new rule stuff out like really well best they've ever done for sure so kudos to USA Water Polo and yourself and the referees for, for doing that. James, what about you? you? What do you think about the, the new rules? Um, so I got kind of two main things. I, overall, I mean, I, I, I like the majority of them. I have two kind of things to say. One has to do with the advantage rule, uh, <laughs> which is the, uh, the penalty, which LaVon was talking about. Like to me, the cool thing about that is that that's actually now applying the advantage rule correctly. Because now the ball goes to the player inside water, okay, and whether they have the ball in the hand or not, the penalty should be called because with that player fouling, if they're committing a foul, then that is more advantageous to have the penalty than to have that shot. And so that has kind of forced the referee to make the correct advantage decision in that spot, in my opinion. So I I like that idea. 
but the only thing to that is James is that you won't what you won't like is that um, <laughs> the rule still states that uh, a player can absorb the contact, can absorb the foul, and if a shot comes and it's a legitimate shot, whether it's a goal or they miss, there's no such thing as an and one, which you right. probably won't like. Uh, so there again, it's not an automatic. Uh, you can be yeah. fouled. You can yeah. absorb the contact. You can actually miss the shot, is, and that's not still that still wouldn't be considered a penalty. Is that in the language? Is that in the rule or in the interpretation? That's in the language. It says basically it's, it says if the action cannot continue. So as long as the player is still progressing, is in control of the ball, and is still playing and uh, trying to get that shooting motion off, the referee is is supposed to allow that natural progression of the game to continue. Yeah, and see, I liked it better in the beginning of the year, you know, when it first flipped over, where the ball came in inside water and it was like, penalty automatic it was it was frustrating as a coach I mean I, I, it was like the first 14 and under and I've, I've mentioned this on other podcasts like my first 14 under game after high school season I mean there was a ton of penalties but I've always felt in my heart of hearts that if the center's facing the goal and the ball lands the pass goes to the wing and in that, that that's a penalty I mean that that should just be a penalty <laughs> every single time because of the I mean, that is the advantage. That is what you're trying to do, you know? And so, like, if there's a foul of any kind. I mean, so is it, wouldn't it be safe to say, well, because you said that is what you're trying to do. I would argue that some would say what we're trying to do is score a goal and not get a foul. And so I think if. But, I mean, if you foul, you've would, taken away argue, the. I would argue that is the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if you if you foul in that position, you've taken away my opportunity to score. But uh, we, we, we don't know that for certain until the but player I, is not able to continue the action, right? But if, once, you let, once, but if you let the action continue, then I don't get anything. Well, we don't know that, right? What if the action continues and the player is able to finish and score a goal? They just got a goal out of it. So right? my question to you right there is, is that refereeing in favor of the offense? If they score a goal, yes. <laughs> no, see, that's if. That's, that, right. that concept is actually favoring the defense. Right, because but James, here, by, by by calling the penalty, that is a negative. Right. That is a negative consequence to the defense, increasing the offense's odds of scoring. By allowing the action to continue, you are actually allowing the defense to continue to decrease the shooting percentage of the offense, while yeah. possibly still having the opportunity for them to miss. So, right. in that situation, you guys are actually applying the advantage rule to favor the defense, well, even see, though it explicitly says to favor the offense. Right. Again, I wouldn't I wouldn't um, argue st the st statistics of it with you. That's for sure. But I, what I would say is that if I get the ball inside water and the defender is behind me and I'm within two meters of just placing the ball into a corner and scoring for me as a referee, as a spectator, as a anybody, as a, a player, I play the game. I would probably try to take that opportunity to score in front of the cage within two meters as opposed to a penalty shot. I think many I, people would assume that that's a greater advantage. I, I, I totally agree, but but then again, you're not the player getting a paycheck and the coach getting a paycheck re being required to win. <laughs> right. right. And so we want the opportunity that gives us the best chance to win. You got everyone else may like excitement, but we're getting paid to win. Yeah. Right? I, I, I actually, this is the one point where, this is the one thing that I've never really understood, and this I know this has to do with the advantage rule, but honestly. This to me seems black and white. I mean, on like really, 
if the if the defense has allowed the ball to go from the point to the wing and then in that's like a full on defensive breakdown like everybody that was involved with that made a mistake the offense took advantage of it that should be rewarded immediately immediately well i i still believe the the defense has to commit a foul yeah, yeah. They I, have to commit a foul. I mean, like if, but, if, if the I, ball gets in and we put our hands up and we let them shoot, then, I mean, it shouldn't be an automatic penalty. There should still needs to, the defense needs to foul. But if the defense I, is fouling, then the penalty is the most advantageous thing to the offense. And I, so by the definition of the advantage rule, it should be called. I hear, I hear what you guys are saying, and I, and I totally respect it. I get it. I, I would get the statistics of it. But I just – I, I just I would not like that one bit. I would just I think most people would like to see a natural goal out of two meters as opposed to a penalty shot. The game stopping, penalty yeah. shots just are just so boring, and it's just it stops that's, the flow of the game. That's why and I think if just, we went to a soccer type model where you right. could then show that there is advantage being played, and then if they shoot it and they do not miss it, then you can call it, and right. then you would get the best of both worlds. Gotcha. Um, but I did want to go to my second point, which yeah. is about uh, the rules, which is um, the six-meter direct shot, moving it from five meters, just tossing this out there in the world. I think that is bad for parity. Okay. Because it creates a center-centric game where uh, if you if you don't if your teams aren't built similar, then you can't really compete as well. And right now, when you have the five-meter direct shot you can create offense at the five meter line that can rival some center type situations without having to have a true center. And you can create different styles of offense. Once you move it past the six meter line, it's not the same level opportunity whatsoever. And so now you're decreasing different styles of play by pushing it out to six meters. It would be like eliminating the three point line in basketball, it, it not as severe for sure, but it's the same general concept. If, if you do that, you lose all Cinderella story, stories. You can have teams that can compete with a Pac-12 that have a couple great outside movers and shooters, but don't have the inside presence. As soon as you push it outside six meters, if you don't have an inside presence, I mean, this game is not over, but it has gotten way more difficult. I mean, in terms of the basketball thing, they did move the three-point line back. Um, in at certain levels and they move, you know, international college, they moved it up NBA, they moved it back, but I, they, they didn't do it arbitrarily. No, but I also feel like I, I always thought that moving the, moving it back to six meters was a way to open up the, the driving one-on-one to give more space for, for the perimeter players to be moving a little bit more. I thought that was because at five meters, it seems everything was so packed in that you're basically just watching at six meters. You're allowing other people to, you know, but run you a little bit about, more motion if offense. About, if, th- if you think about it this way, what, what is the dilemma that is created by the five meter line for a defender? If you're trying to stop a five meter direct shot, how do you have to position yourself? And is that not creating it also at the same time, if you want to defend a five-meter direct shot, are you putting yourself in peril for a drive? I would argue you are. Because in order to defend the five-meter direct shot, you have to get much higher in the lane. If you play underneath, you're going to give it up. So the more you play in the lane, the more you're able to attack the lane for the drive. 
right? And vice versa. So you've seen a lot of players learn how to go and work for a direct. They jump the line, they cross them back to the inside, or they drive them, they defend the drive, and they cross it back to the top side for the direct, right? And you're creating that situation where you have a double threat scenario. When you push it out to the six meter line, defenders are going to be much more comfortable playing you underneath because the odds aren't as dangerous. The direct shot at five is a very dangerous scenario. I, I, you know, this is fascinating to me that you, this take is I, I just didn't, haven't heard about this, but I, as a referee and uh, from, from a referee's perspective and from what I've gathered speaking to other referees, um, it is, it is welcomed. I think they referees in general like it because like, uh, Steve said it does spread out, uh, so it's a little bit easier to view what is going on. So it's it pro- provides a little bit more clarity. I, I personally think that uh, the five meter line was one of the worst things for the game. Just just me personally, because I thought um, the game became more stagnant, and all it was is was we just get you know one or two shooters who would camp out at the five and try to try to uh, draw that foul so they can shoot. Um, the creativity of the game seemed to me that it went away once that uh, five meter line came into play. So we saw less movement, I think less driving. I think the, it just the goal became, let me just get this five meter shot off. So now I think that when you move it back to six, um, I do think that uh, more creativity, more driving, more skill, it'll, that'll be the, the case. So it remains to be seen. Let's see. Yeah. It would be nice if they sort of meld all of this stuff together you know i mean like in the in the 90s it was center in the 2000s it, it became this you know um really physical physical game foul and drop and then now in this last decade it became the five meter shot you know it it's you know i think there's it's a healthy discussion to have and it's i think the, the point of what we're doing here, I think what's so valuable about what we're doing and hopefully setting some sort of precedent is that it's really important for coaches to be involved in discussions like this, that to have multiple different viewpoints going into rule changes, because when you don't, you, you have, it's a surprise, you know, you're coaching kids a certain way, you're, you're trying to teach them certain fundamentals and then changing a rule changing the way things are called could eliminate a lot of the work that you've been doing for a long time. And I think that becomes frustrating and a little bit dangerous. And I think that's, that's kind of the point of this whole thing is defining it, you know, making sure everybody understands it and and then working from there. This is the first time I've heard a robust discussion about one particular aspect of our game that has you know, you could ask poll a hundred people and you're going to get different answers all the time about what this foul is, what that was, um, and using different video clips and seeing, you know, you make the call basically. And I think that's, that's detrimental to our sport. I, I, I really do. I think that's the one thing that when James and I talked last time, I thought that was like one of the, one of the points that really stuck with me for a long time, which is, you know, a foul is not a foul is not a foul <laughs> and that makes things really really hard as a coach and as a spectator you know one thing that you hear all the time coaching high school for so long you know i hear the mom or the dad saying 
yeah, little Johnny's been playing for 10 years. I still don't know what's going on, but he loves it. So I come and support him. You know? <laughs> I hear that so much. And that's, I don't know. I don't oh, know man. if that's like a good thing, you know? Right. I, I, I have a, I have a quick question. Uh, uh, and I don't know how much time we have left, but I would love to kind of find out something. Let's uh, keep, about let's the keep going. Good. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so here's, here, here's, here's a quick question. Um, because yeah, you know, things get confusing, like Steve says about, you know, okay, fans come to the game, not knowing what the situation is with the, with the advantage rule. Okay. Does, can the advantage rule ever be used in the following like way where it's like, um, well, the offense didn't have advantage, so we didn't make a call. That's one question. Is that, is that a, is that a justifiable scenario? Can, can someone say that and that be correctly being applied? Uh, yes. Well, th because there's, there's uh, advantage situations, but then you have also, I'd say like behavioral type situations, right? So whether the player has advantage or not, if you're sinking with two hands somewhere, or if you're, you're in a, some kind of overaggressive action or something, you know, those are behavioral things that, it still needs to be called. So yes, there still could be a call if there's no direct advantage situation. Right. That, so yeah, that's to me in the rule, it, it has no way. There's no like specification of the offense needing advantage for a call to, or to not be made. If right. there is a call to be made, it's just to be made regardless of whether there's current offensive advantage. And then the next thing I was wondering is whether or not a uh, position plays any factor in this. Because you hear coaches and referees talk about like, you know, well, you know, based on the position, there was no advantage or this, that, or the next thing, right? Does position play any factor in applying the advantage rule outside of penalties? Uh, I think so, yes. Uh, just an example is a center. If you just receive the ball at two meters um, and the defender is between you and the cage, and I, I don't think that you, you're in a in, – um, you know, in any advantage position per se, I think you're in a good position. You're two meters away or three meters away from the cage, but I wouldn't necessarily say you're in a, an advantage situation. But now if you make a quarter turn or more than a quarter turn, now you've improved your position greatly. Uh, and now you have uh, more of an advantage uh, and likelihood to score a goal, I think. So my question then follow up on that is let's say, there's a player and he's at two meters and there's a player and they're at six meters, one center cage, one's on the post defense makes the exact same type of movement. Should the calls be the same? Many times. Yes. Because like one of the things that why not at all, uh, well, I, I would just have to see what the, the particular foul would be like one, for example, one of the things that we've stressed uh, greatly is that, a, uh, a center is able to receive an ordinary foul. Uh, the misconception is that anytime the ball comes in, any kind of foul is an automatically an exclusion foul. But no, uh, the, the, the center defender is able to commit an ordinary foul just like a perimeter player commits an ordinary foul on the perimeter. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, because so, that's sometimes I just seeing that uh, or hearing two explanations of like, based on where they are or where the defense is, you know, well, they didn't have enough advantage to get 
uh, to, for an exclusion. They're not in position. They're not in good enough position. They have bad position. I just don't see where that's in the rule that that should be taken into account. Well, uh, one place where I'll give you an example is, let's say, probable goal. When we get into the definition of probable goal, the angle in which the player is moving to the cage does play a factor, right? So if, let's say, uh, the the player is pre- practically at the goal line and is coming at the angle uh, from the goal line, uh, their their position or their angle towards the cage is not one that a referee would consider as a probable goal situation, a probable goal angle. Right. Um, so, so, and let me see if I've given this right. That re- can you think of any other ones? But it, I get it makes sense to me how position is a factor in applying advantage if you're choosing to call a penalty or not, because sure. that probable goal scenario has a lot to do with that positioning, right? But for an exclusion to be called, right? Is there? positioning have any requirements or location have any requirements to whether an exclusion should or should not be called using the advantage rule? Um, No, I I think, you know, whether you're making a, you're making an inside turn um, at two meters or you're making it on the side, or if you gain inside position, um, regardless of where you are, odds are um, you're going to be excluded, right? If there's a foul. Um, So, no, I don't think. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, there's... I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. I spoke with Jack Coker because he had responded to our tweet thing that we were was going yeah. on. James, you remember? Yeah. Um, and he had volunteered to put together some clips, some video clips, and make it sort of like a separate thing, and and using those clips as more of a live stream discussion, you know? Um, and I think it would be really beneficial if we could all be on that, you know, like all of us together and maybe pick three or four clips that he sends to us ahead of time. Or maybe James, if you have some clips, I mean, that's fine with me too. I, I think it's better that he sends them personally. Cause I would love to not have yeah. any like, preconceived yeah i would would love it to be about something we're just watching together and i don't have a a horse in the race or anything like yeah i i agree that's that was one of the reasons why i thought it was important to bring him in he probably has some good examples that from all over the world and different levels Mm -hmm. which i think would be cool so i think it would be cool to follow up on this conversation with that as like part two um and, and then kind of take it from there if you guys are interested in doing that I'd love to. I love this kind of stuff. I think we, we need to do more and more of this. Like, Yeah, I think so too. I, I 100% agree, and I really appreciate um, the opportunity to be on here and, and right. talk with you, Levon and Steve. I mean, it's been, it's been great. It's been, this, this only makes our sport better. Yeah, I, I know. I, I love it. I agree yeah. because it, it shows that we're not opposite and opposing each other. We are in unison trying to do what's best for the sport, and I think a lot of times – fans and other coaches don't see that they see that we're at odds at with each other when and that's not the case the, what we want to know as coaches is how can we put our teams in position to be successful and that's the point i think that's the main point absolutely and this is the this is the best time to do it because with everything being shut down right now we can all put away our biases and we can just be concentrated on the sport as a whole instead of 
you know, about my team. And so, um, I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Thank you guys for being on Levon uh, from USA water polo, James from university of the Pacific. Uh, thank you guys again. And James, is there a link to your academic paper that you said you wrote? Maybe people might be interested in checking that out. Uh, something. Yeah, you we, can we, we, yeah, we can get you some links to a, a number of papers we've written here at UOP, Joey and myself. Okay. That'd be great. And I'll put the, the, the links in the description of this podcast and that way people can read it out. Maybe Levon, you might be uh, able to send that out to USA water polo. I think that'd be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, all right, Thank guys. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you. You have a good day. All right. You too. Have a good day.